All right, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Jude. We're finishing off the book of Jude tonight, verses 12 through 25, as we will finish this little epistle of Jude. And as you're going there, uh, I just would like to say that if you would take note uh, that six times Within verses 12 to 25, we find the word ungodly that Jude uses. He uses the word ungodly six times from verses 12 to 25. Uh, this is uh, double the three times that is normal for God to drive a point home. And as we see here that these men... Uh, are ungodly as we found this out last time when we were looking at the verses 1 through 11 how we found out that there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men and we read about all of what they have done and how the angels who left their first estate how uh, the example of Sodom and Gomorrah giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. And we know what strange flesh is. There can be no other answer to what the word strange flesh means. Obviously, sodomy, homosexuality, lesbian, going after strange flesh. So we come to verse 12 here of Jude, and it says that these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. And I want you to notice there that the word spots does not mean like you get a stain on your garment. The word spots there means literally like a rock that you stumble over or a, like a reef in the ocean. It is something that does damage. So when he says that these are spots in your feast of charity, he's not talking about a stain or like a, uh, like a spot on a garment. He's talking about these men come in among the fellowship of Christians. And they are literally like reefs in the ocean, that they are there only to cause damage. That's why it's very important who is coming into your fellowship, who is coming into the group, who is there, who are they, why are they there. There are sometimes there's people that will give um, long, lengthy interviews of people before they come into their their service or their Bible study or what have you. And people sometimes are offended of that. But the point being is, is that gathering of believers, church with believers, are for true believers. They are for true believers only. This idea of having people who are unsaved coming to the church, oh, well, we'll just welcome everybody in. Oh, well, we'll just allow all people to come on in. I mean, how we have to love them. How are we going to know? How are we going to minister to them? How are they ever going to know the gospel if we don't tell them? Well, you give them the gospel by going out to them. You give them the gospel by going to the unsaved person and telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church and the time of fellowship with believers is for believers. They are not, it is not for unbelievers. 
You're having fellowship. So these are literally like reefs in the ocean that do damage. It says in there, Feast of Charity. So it says also, it says there that when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. These men don't have any fear. They come in there, they're very bold and have fear. Watch out for them. Clouds are they without water, which means empty, carried about of winds. That means drifting here and there. They're not, they're not stable men. They don't go to a church. They don't go to a fellowship and stay there. They move from place to place to place because they probably get found out when they get to one place and they need to move to another. Plus, it's like uh, new uh, new attacks on new people that don't know them. So they are like uh, carried about of the winds. And you remember in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, you don't have to turn there. I'll go there. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read that to you. says that, Hence ye be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And they are carried about in the winds. They says, it says here, trees whose fruit withereth. Now that's a dead tree. If the fruit begins to wither, the tree is dead. That means the very whole core, the whole roots, everything is withered. That it's dead. That these, these men are dead. They do not have the Spirit of God. They do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They are not Christians. They say they are. They pretend to be like they are. They, can maybe be convincing, but again, we know that Jesus has told us by their fruits you'll know them, and we see here that Jude tells us these men look for the fact that they have no fruit. They have no fruit at all. He goes on to say that they are without fruit. It's not only that they they have their trees where the fruit withers, but they don't have any fruit at all. Not one, none, nothing at all, no fruit whatsoever. That means no life, they're dead, no fruit, no, they don't produce anything. Dead doesn't produce anything. Dead is dead is dead. So they say, it says here that, uh, that without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. These individuals are simply just dead, unsaved people creeping into the church. Be aware, be awake, be careful. Verse 13, it calls them raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars of whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Raging waves is an, uh, an evil enemy, mean and nasty. It's, it's, uh, waves are very violent. That's what these men are. Wandering stars, that means they have no place. They have no rest. Wandering stars is going all over the place. They have no rest whatsoever. And they, and to whom it is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Notice that, that God has these men who are reserved for the blackness of darkness forever. Reserved for evil forever. They, God has put them in this place because we know. How do we know that when it says that whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? He says in verse 3, or verse 4, excuse me. For there are certain men crept in and words who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. So these are men that are already marked out for condemnation. Does that put them beyond the realm of being saved? 
Yes, because God has already set them as ordained to be condemned. God has already set them to be reserved in the blackness of darkness forever. So watch out for these evil men. Verse 14 and 15, it says, And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now there are many people, let me stop right here and say this, there's many people that believe that the book of Enoch has some weight and authority because Jude actually quotes this. Well, there's no evidence to say that God has actually blessed the book of Enoch. If you've ever read the book of Enoch, it's interesting, but... The whole point is that just because Jude quoted it here doesn't make it canonized or doesn't make it authoritative scripture. He just simply quotes it. Just like when Paul had said of the Cretans that their prophets uh, would say that they were always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. Just because he quoted Cretan prophets doesn't make that authoritative. Now, it's God's word and it is authoritative, absolutely, but it doesn't make the source of what they're quoting authoritative. So we can't get all wrapped up in the fact of, oh, we need to run over and take a look at the book of Enoch. And we need to make sure that, oh, what does Enoch say? And then, oh, wow, he talks about the end times and we're going to really this and that and try to put it together. Jude is simply quoting Enoch in order for a comparison so that we can understand to the level and to the degree of how bad these ungodly men are. He says, Behold, Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Who's him? Jesus Christ, of course. So you notice that uh, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. That's quite a bit. And he goes on to say here in verse 16 about these men that these are murmurers complainers walking after their own lusts and their mouth speaketh great swelling words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage a murmurer is a person who's a grumbler a constantly grumbling about things constantly always grumbling and always saying nothing is good and this is that and you know we would probably call it today extremely negative but that's what it is a complainer a person who's always complaining about something that this isn't right or that isn't right there's always something wrong with them they're always complaining now what these what are these murmurers and complainers doing they're not murmuring and complaining about life in general these murmurers and complainers because we know that Jude has said that they creep into the church unaware that they're murmuring and complaining about Christianity. They're murmuring and complaining about the gospel. So that's a one sign to show that when someone comes in and they're constantly picking the gospel apart, they're constantly picking, well, they'll say, it's impossible for Jesus to raise from the dead. It's impossible for him to walk on the water. It's impossible for him to have done this or that starting to pick apart the miracles, complaining about it, complaining about, oh, I have to read my Bible? Oh, we have to pray now? Oh, we have to do... Constantly complaining about it. Jude is wanting to wake us up and open our eyes to see what these men are like. And this is especially true today in our time, very, very uh, much as we are coming to the close of the end of the world. 
And I, I don't say that in the sense of like all the rest who do, but it just is fact. And it's a good thing that we can know these men and what they're all about. They come and they speak great swelling words. And they have men's persons in admiration because of advantage. That means profit. So these men come and they have, they hold up other men and they more probably are wicked men, but they will hold up other men because there's some profit in it for them. They have them in admiration. Oh, I greatly admire this guy because I can tag along with him and maybe uh, I can go with him and whatever advantage it may be that the, that person, that wicked man as Jude is talking about, going with this other person, possibly could get some type of respect even though his deeds are wicked and his motives are very very evil he says in verse 17 but beloved that's you you are a christian you are born again that is you remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our lord jesus christ how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts you remember when we first talked about the first 11 verses of Jude, how Jude fo uh, closely follows 2 Peter chapter 2. And this is almost word for word in 2 Peter chapter 2. We find again that uh, we look at 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 is where this all comes uh, the, exactly. It says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily will bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So uh, here you have these men who are even coming and denying the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's another way when you talk to a person, they, they believe that Jesus is a good man, but they do not believe he's God. They don't believe he's divinity. That's a big red flag right there. Because Jesus is clearly God Almighty. Then it says, These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the Spirit. Again, this goes to show, like we were talking about uh, earlier, that they do not have the Spirit. When it talks about in verse 12, how they're dead, they have no fruit, their fruit withers, they're twice dead, they're plucked up by the very roots. They're dead. There's no spirit in them. And, and Jude here says in verse 19, he comes right out and says it, they don't have the spirit of God. Verse 20, he says, but ye beloved, building yourselves, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. That is what we are doing, building ourselves up. You know, you remember when David was down in the Old Testament, the scriptures say that he went and strengthened himself in his God. So you're to build yourselves up in your faith, the faith that you have of the holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying through and in the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Notice that he says there, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we will do. In verse 22, and of some having compassion, making a difference. Now, when he's talking about in verse 22 and 23, 
He's talking about the fact that these men up there in the rest of the verses that have some compassion making a difference and others save with fear, pulling out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, that there are some you have to make a difference. Some of these men may come in and have all of these identifying marks, but they are a Christian. You have to make a difference, he says, having compassion, making a difference on those who absolutely are not and those who do have some but just act this way. He says, 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You notice here that it says to keep you from falling. That is like verse 1, to keep you now to him, that's Jesus Christ, to keep you from falling. It's the same thing in verse 1 where it says that we're preserved in Jesus Christ. We're kept in Jesus Christ. And also you find that same language in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. It says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What does without blame mean? It means that if you're a Christian, if you have become born again, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are without blame. You have no spot. You are clean before God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has taken that and he has given you his righteousness. God sees you. He sees righteous Jesus. He does not see your filthy self because you are covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus. First John says that he is the propitiation for our sins. He's the covering for our sins and he's removed our sins completely. He says to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You should be joyful at the fact that Jesus Christ brings you and presents you before the throne of God faultless. Why are you faultless? Why are you presented to God without blemish, without blame, faultless? You have no fault before him because Jesus Christ is covering you. His work of grace that he did on the cross, that holy and righteous work that is now applied to your life and you have turned it over to Jesus Christ. He covers you with his blood and God looks on you and sees the righteousness of Jesus. You have been saved. That is something he says of his glory with exceeding joy you should have. Exceeding joy. Verse 25, he ends with the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Again, it says the only wise God, our Savior. What is that? That is an absolute pointing to the fact that Jesus, another one of many in the New Testament, that points to the fact that Jesus is God. Read it again. Let To the only wise God, our Savior. Well, there's only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And it says that the only wise God, our Savior. So that is the Jesus Christ is God, and he is our Savior. Then it says his glory. Now, You'll notice something in here, and I'm going to go through these and tell you what they are as I, as I do, because this is 
encompasses all the aspects of life. Look at it. It says, To the only wise God our Savior be glory, that is his right to be worshipped, and majesty, that is his right to greatness, dominion, that is his right to power over all, and his power, that is his authority over all, both now and forever. Amen, it says. So, what do we learn from the book of Jude? If we go over this, let's, let's go over this. There's four things I think that we learn out of the book of Jude. The first one is, you are, if you are a believer, kept. You're kept in salvation by Jesus Christ. We find that in verse one. Sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And if you listen back to the first message on uh, the first 11, 11 verses of Jude, you will see that preserved, that we talked about that, that you are preserved, you are kept in Jesus Christ. That is eternal security. You're eternally saved. Once saved, always saved. We totally believe that because the Bible completely teaches that. Number two, we are to fight and contend for the faith, for the true faith of Christianity. We find this in verse 3, when he gave all those to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We are to contend for the faith. You see other religions and other people so pushing and fighting for their faith or their religion or their particular belief very strongly. You look at what's going on with the sodomite agenda right now with the sodomites rising up. They're very aggressive, very aggressive in pushing their, their agenda. And are we to sit back and cower? We have the truth. We have the true gospel and we are to fight for it. Muslims will go out and kill themselves for it. Jehovah's Witnesses will go and do everything they can for it. Muslims will travel the world and go out and do all that and go everywhere to make, to, to convert one person. They, they earnestly are contending for their faith. We have the truth, the truth of the scriptures, the truth of the gospel, of the true gospel of the true God of the universe. And we ought to contend with, for that. We ought to fight for that. We ought to defend that completely. Then the third thing I think we, we learn out of the book of Jude is that wicked men are among us, making every attempt that they possibly can to destroy us. We are to beware and to be watchful. We find this in verses 4 through 16. Wicked men are among us, and they will would like nothing more than to try to delude, degrade, and destroy Christianity and attack the church as much as they can. And the fourth and final thing I think and believe that we learn out of the book of Jude is that our, that your God, our God, has total dominion over all, over all aspects of life. We found that out in verse 25 where it talked about his right to glory, his right to greatness, his right to power over all, his right to authority over all. It says both now, that is us living here now on earth, and forever, that is in the future eternally, that he has has the right to worship, the right to his greatness, the right to power over all, and the right to have authority over all. So that's the things that I am confident that we learn in the book of Jude, a fascinating little book. May God bless you.